Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 41, and I'm drinking Margaritaville Gold Tequila. I created this podcast as a way for me to drink more and to explore the world of distilled spirits. With each episode, I hope to be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I chose to feature Margaritaville Gold Tequila for this episode because I had a handle of it in my liquor cabinet. It's left over from the same Cinco de Mayo party I had a little over a year ago that left me with a bottle of El Himador Silver Tequila that I featured in episode 4. It seemed time for another tequila episode, so we're reviewing what we've got. This big bottle is a 1.75 liter bottle of Margaritaville Gold Tequila. It is 40% alcohol by volume, making it 80 proof. It retails for about 30 bucks, but when I bought it, it was on sale, and I think I scored it for closer to $25 out the door. I referred to this bottle as a handle, which is slang for the size of bottle. It's uh, not quite a half gallon, sometimes you'll hear half gallon, but called it a handle because indeed this bottle actually has a handle molded in on the back of the glass. Makes it very easy to tote this thing around and helps in pouring. The front label features the Margaritaville logo, including the famous amphibious airplane christened the Hemisphere Dancer. This airplane is one of about 460 Grumman Albatross flying boats, so it's rather rare. It is a real plane. It has been retired to the Margaritaville location in Orlando, Florida. The back label on the bottle gives you some insight into the Margaritaville brand being a feeling rather than a place. Above the government warnings, it reads... Journey to Margaritaville. No passport required. Somewhere beyond the everyday, where time and trouble stand still. Where is Margaritaville? It's in your mind. It's in this tequila. Escape your world. Relax in ours. All right, let's crack this open and drink some. So this is a new bottle, unopened. I've had it for a while, but alcohol doesn't go bad. At least uh, higher proof spirits. Some low proof will have uh, Best Buy dates. I did an episode on Shamborg that has got a shelf life, but tequila does not. So... I'm going to open it up. Screw top as expected. I like to open spirits for the first time while I'm recording so that you get my first reaction as I drink it. I have had this tequila, but not straight in a long time, so I don't really remember it. But let's give it a go. So I have a clean Glencairn glass, which is a nosing glass developed for whiskey tasting first and foremost, but it's really great for any spirit. Little pour. <laughs> a little bit of a glug in the big bottle. For all spirits, I try them neat, which is room temperature, undiluted, no ice, no mixers. It's the best way to get the pure flavor and sensation of the spirit. I have some in my clean Glencairn. In the glass, it's a light brownish gold color. It's gold tequila, so it has actually caramel added. Does not come from being aged in wood, for instance. So this is color added, but it gives it a pleasant gold color. Swirling it in the glass, you can see the alcohol tears or the legs. It does coat the inside of the glass fairly well. And on the nose, yeah, it's not bad. It's kind of fruity. It's light. I pick up, what do I get out of that? Almost pear or apple. Is it tequila-ness, which is a bit of a fresh citrusy, is how I describe tequila. It's the agave coming through. Okay, let's give it a taste. 
That's quite light, actually. It's very fruity at first. There's some, what is that? It's a lightness, I guess, is how I would first describe it. It's not harsh at all. I can taste the alcohol, but it's not, it doesn't punch you. There's some pear or apple, something like that. I pick up some agave-ness to it, which I describe as citrusy. It's that tequila flavor that you get from the agave coming through. There's a spice as well, which I'd attribute, I just refer to it as black pepper. It's not a chili pepper, it's just a spiciness. Hardly any finish. It does not linger at all. So let's move on to history. Margaritaville tequila came to be in about 1998 as a product of Seagram's, the famed Canadian wine and spirits conglomerate. It's one of the early licensed products within the Margaritaville brand, but the tequila and none of the rest of the brand would have ever existed without the namesake song, Margaritaville. Margaritaville was released in 1977 and became the breakthrough hit from Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett, of course, is an American singer-songwriter renowned for his music and lifestyle that is best described as island escapism, was the best description I read. Various other things, Calypso, Caribbean rock and roll, island escapism seems to capture the feeling. Jimmy Buffett tours extensively, and in the 1980s, his live shows were attracting a fan base comprised in large part of Hawaiian shirt-wearing people with parrot hats. Jimmy likened them to the Grateful Dead's fans who were known as Deadheads. One of Buffett's bandmates coined the term Parrotheads to describe Jimmy Buffett fans, and the name stuck. These Parrotheads gave rise to Margaritaville tequila in a roundabout way. In 1987, the first Margaritaville restaurant opened in Key West, Florida. A second location opened in 1993 in New Orleans, but it wasn't as successful, and Jimmy held off on expanding further. Then in 1996, a man named John Colan came calling to talk to Jimmy about expanding Margaritaville. Colan had attended a Jimmy Buffett concert and experienced the Parrothead fan base in person and was struck by it, recounting that he thought it was a brand. John Colan had been working for a firm described as a corporate raider and therefore probably had a good eye for potential in brands. Buffett and Colan became partners and expanded Margaritaville as a brand, beginning with a restaurant location at Universal Orlando Resort, a theme park at the time owned by Seagram. Theme parks were part of the demise of Seagram's, but that didn't come until 2001. In 1998, Seagram paid nearly double what they did for the theme park business to buy the record label Polygram, who Jimmy Buffett was signed to. Perhaps it was all fate, but Colan being the brand builder took issue with Seagram's introduction of Parrot Bay Rum that Jimmy Buffett felt co-opted his parrot head imagery. The story of this is told from both sides. Colan says he played hardball with Seagram over the Parrot Bay rum, saying they'd not carry Seagram products in Margaritaville locations. The Seagram side of the story is recounted by Arthur Shapiro, then chief marketing officer for the Americas for Seagram. Shapiro's book, Inside the Bottle, People, Brands, and Stories, tells the story as he remembers the hardball phone call going. The book, by the way, is worth picking up for the stories. It's a quick read, basically an organized collection of posts from Shapiro's blog, boozebusiness.com. Anyway, Shapiro says the caller, who would have been John Colan, though he's not identified by name, was upset about Seagram having infringed on Jimmy Buffett's trademark and intellectual property rights over the use of the Parrot Bay rum imagery. Shapiro, confident in Seagram's legal department, pretty much told him to take his best shot. Then after a moment of silence, asked him what he was really calling about. Colan, if indeed he was the caller, said they were looking for a private label tequila for the Margaritaville restaurants and were looking to see if Seagram would make them one. 
Arthur Shapiro, being the marketing guy, countered to the caller with the idea of licensing Jimmy Buffett for a tequila. He says at this suggestion, The glee in his voice told me that I had just been played. But because Seagram needed a tequila brand, the two struck a deal, with Cullen suggesting Margaritaville for the name, but noting that the brand would be all Buffett. It took only a few weeks, it seems, for the deal to come together, but Shapiro says Jimmy Buffett himself came to the Seagram's office to capture the essence of the brand, writing the copy for the back label in about 20 minutes. I'm not sure if what's on the back of this bottle is the original Jimmy Buffett penned text, but I suspect it's close. Thus, Margaritaville Tequila was born. Sales went from 5,009 liter equivalent cases to 50,000 a year before Seagram's was sold off in 2001 to Diageo, Pernod Ricard, Coca-Cola, and others. A story in its own right, you can hear a little bit more about the breakup of Seagram in Episode 7 on Seagram 7. Sazerac ultimately ended up owning the Margaritaville tequila brand, and as of the time of this recording, they still own it. As of 2016, they'd been selling around 300,000 cases annually. So that's the story of how the brand came to be, but let's talk about how this tequila is made. Margaritaville tequilas are crafted in Arandas in the state of Jalisco, Mexico, and distilled from the finest blue agave. That's what the website says. As stated on the front of the label, Produced under the supervision of the Mexican government by Distilladora Gonzalez, Gonzalez S.A. de Sevilla, Jalisco, Mexico. My apologies for the butchered Spanish pronunciation, but that's the gist of it. So it's the real deal, a legal tequila, but it's not 100% agave. Legally, it's at least 51% agave, and honestly, that may be the extent of the agave spirit in it. During fermentation, they can add up to 49% of non-agave sugar and still be tequila. This often is just sugarcane juice. Given this price point, I doubt if there's more than the required legal minimum agave in the spirit. Tequila itself is highly controlled by the Mexican government, establishing legal protections for it in the late 1970s that have been recognized by many countries worldwide. Tequila takes time to produce. Fermentation, distillation, and aging are the short part of it. The time comes at the front end in the cultivation of the Weber Blue agave plant. Tequila can only be made from this specific species of agave. The plants must be at least six years old to be large enough to be harvested, and some 300 million are harvested each year. They're cut from the fields by humidors, skilled men with super sharp round blades on a pole, who cut the spiky leaves from the plant and the core off its root base. The core is referred to as a piña because it looks a lot like a big pineapple that may weigh over 100 pounds. The piña is a big ball of starch and sugar, and it's roasted, crushed, and fermented into what's known as a must. If we were talking whiskey, the must would be the same as a wash. It's the crude beer that's then distilled. Distillation is done in a column still, and this being a gold, it's likely got its color from caramel coloring being added to the new spirit. Traditionally, gold tequila would pick up color from being aged for a brief period in a used bourbon barrel, but that's not the case anymore. It's about as fresh off the still as a silver tequila, but this gold may even have some oak extract flavoring added, which is legally allowed. So let's move on to cocktails and consumption. Margaritaville gold tequila is specifically made for mixing. They tell you you can sip it, you can shoot it. It's pretty light. If you're looking for a sipping tequila, 
this would not be it. I bought the bottle because I had mentioned we had a Cinco de Mayo party and I needed a lot of tequila because I have a Margaritaville brand uh, margarita machine. It's a blender with an ice hopper at the top. It shaves ice and drops it into the blender and you have filled the blender with your tequila and mixers and it automatically blends and shaves ice into it and you get a great margarita. So we bought, of course, matching gold tequila to go with our Margaritaville margarita machine and made a selection of different margaritas for our Cinco de Mayo party. I shared some of those recipes in episode 4 on El Himador, which was the silver tequila I had from that party, and I will share some recipes in the show notes for this episode as well. So in summary, what do I think of Margaritaville Gold Tequila? It's perfect for mixing. I don't know what more you can really say about it. It's very light. It's got a tequila flavor. It's not offensive. It doesn't really make you pucker. It doesn't make me pucker anyway, drinking it just straight. I've sipped on this whole glass of it while recording. It's got kind of a fun brand building story. I was happy that I could find in my research both sides. And really, I invite you to check out the book by Arthur Shapiro or his blog. He recounts a lot of stories from his time at Seagram's. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur. As always, I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Tell your friends. If you enjoy listening to this show, let me know. Show notes are on liquorandliqueurconnoisseur.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcast platform. The show's on social media. I'm active most on Instagram and Facebook. I enjoy hearing from my listeners, so leave me your feedback. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>